Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary. Glad that you've joined us. Uh, For those of you joining in person, it's good to see your faces this morning. Those of you joining online, glad to have you with us and looking forward to what God's going to teach us today. Uh, We are continuing to talk about this word transformed and uh, what that looks like in our lives, that idea of something truly changing, uh, a metamorphosis. What what it comes out at the end almost doesn't resemble how it started. It's just that kind of a, a change. Seeing like life differently is the way that we're talking about. And what we're doing, we're taking a journey through the last five chapters of the book of Romans, and we're looking at how this transformed just... Uh, weaves its way through all those verses we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. But all of it comes from this particular verse, Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. And we've said it the last couple of weeks, but I would encourage you this morning, if you would, just to say this verse with me. Would you, Romans chapter 12, say this part of the verse with me. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, that's where we're going for, that change But he makes it clear that the process goes through a renewal of your mind, which we've we've said very clearly that if your mind changes, your your will will change. Your mind changes, your your life will change, the actions. But it starts here in this concept of of the mind. We take what what we hear from the word, we listen to it, we read it, we find it, and then we apply it and appropriate what he's told us to do, and we begin to see God renewing our minds and then renewing our actions, renewing our, our lives and, and changing what he, he has in mind for us. And over the time, we are fundamentally a, a different person, and that's what God is, is doing in this process through us. So Romans, starting in chapter 12 and going through the rest, begins to help us understand that. We're kind of right in the middle of chapter number 12. Last week, here was the phrase that we talked about, and, and it'll also talk to what we're going to look at today. Verse number 9, love must be sincere. It's, that's what the kind of love that God calls for those who have a renewed mind, our love will be authentic. If your mind is renewed, you'll have a, a, a love that comes by this description. I love the, the word love, agape, the New Testament kind of gives its flavor to that word of something selfless, something that, that ordinarily we see of God and what he then shows and shows us how to do as well. It's a self-giving, self-sacrificial, uh, and the word sincere literally means not hypocritical, unhypocritical. It means take off the mask, right? That, what we talked about last week. It's a sincere love that doesn't just say I love you, but, but shows it and really genuinely means it and puts that, that into action. That love must be sincere. So we, we see that, we, we've got it, that's very kind of simple, but yet we've we got to put that into practice. But as we keep moving through the verses we're going to look at today, I, I think you'll see with me that we're going to find the sincere love is going to meet with some, some obstacles. Let me show you what I mean. If you keep reading a couple of the phrases, verse 16, he says, to live in harmony with one another. That means that this, this love thing could be difficult. Verse 18, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, it's clear as Christians, sincere love. That's what we have. Renewed mind, you'll love differently. You'll love sincerely. You'll see love from a different way. But that 
that is showing us that there's going to be some hurdles. There's going to be some obstacles to this kind of sincere love. Let's talk about it this way. Here's a word that comes to my mind. We're going to talk about this, this kind of sincere love, and that's the word conflict. And by conflict, it's the conflict that ultimately uh, comes into some kind of, we'll use the word violence. It's a word that sadly is something quite familiar to us, and it's becoming even more and more familiar. The, the idea of, of violence and hurt and pain in, in, in our world, in our society, in our, our country, in our, our community. I mean, you, you, look at, you don't have to look very long at the news, and it's pretty much inundated with, with acts and waves of violence. Uh, whether it was last weekend, Memorial Day, there were more mass shootings, massacres on Memorial Day weekend. You have the, the things that happen in just on a regular basis. You have uh, wars around the world. You even have things in our community. All this, this, uh, this insinuated through this idea of this word violence that came from some kind of a, a conflict. Here's some words that we think about when we think of violence. War is obviously a violent word, an armed conflict, even terrorism. Those are words that we use, and all of those help describe this idea of violence. But here's what's interesting. World statistics tell us that over the centuries, over the decades, some, those particular words, the death by those, those acts have actually been declining. But on the other hand, the deaths by acts of crime... Domestic violence, homicides, those statistics are gradually and actually rapidly rising. So what we're seeing now, what used to be violence that we saw, we talked about, we heard about, now is coming very close to home. It's a word that we understand, this conflict that ultimately takes us to violence. And it's not words we just, oh, I want world peace, or why don't we just all get along? It's, it's bigger than that. It's, it's deeper than that. In fact, here's what we know scripturally, fundamentally, we live in a sin-cursed world full of sinful people. And in this sin-cursed world full of sinful people, violence is going to be experienced at some point. That's what happens. The enemy is an enemy of destruction. Violence is going to be a part of that. So what, it's ta- what we're going to talk about today is all of this around us. The question is, is there anything that we as God's people can do to make a difference in this violence? Is there anything that we can do in this conflict-riddled society to make any kind of a difference? We're not going to be able to answer all the questions. In fact, we're just actually going to bring up some and hopefully talk about them. But I do think in these verses, we're going to see a way that not only globally, but especially locally, individually, we can see how God wants us with a renewed attitude, a renewed way of thinking about this idea of conflict and where we're going, this, this love in mind, that we can literally make a difference. I don't think what Paul was writing was some global peace summit words, but I do think they're relevant and can actually make a difference in our world, in our individual lives. I'll give you a little background. Romans, the book, let's think about that for a moment. Um, it was written mid-first century AD, and so what we're talking about, uh, even though the name Romans should help you understand, that in itself was a pretty violent culture, a violent society. Wars, even with what they called the Pax Romano, there were still wars, never really stopped. That was the, just kind of the culture. But within the individuals, there was this, that violence was quite prevalent. So we know that that was the, the idea. The guy who wrote this, the name of Paul, he himself knew a lot about violence. He, on one hand, had been a, a 
participant in the violence. He actually would, would inflict violence on others, specifically Christians. But as his life changed, he became a victim of this kind of violence. So he knows what he's talking about in this idea of conflict and violence. And he's going to show us some very important renewed ways of thinking that can help us in our, our daily walk. So let's go back to our verse again. Verse number nine, we know that love must be sincere. But let's be real for a minute. At some point, this sincere love, all of us in this room have experienced and you will experience again. At some point, your ideals, your, uh, your beliefs, your personality, your, your convictions, your, even your worldview is going to come in conflict with someone else that you're going to come across this week. What happens when, when those things come in conflict? When conflict happens, what do you do? It's say, great, a love must be sincere. Got it. That's what Christians are supposed to do. But what happens when, when the, the things get hot? The words get hot. The attitudes get out of control. What do you do? What, how do we react in those times? Let me even put it this way. What do you do about this sincere love when the person that you're wanting to love doesn't want to love you back? What if they act aggressively or they act in intimidation or they act abusively towards, towards you? How do you respond? They're harsh. Maybe they're just hostile to you as a person. Or even as a Christian, they're hostile to you about your faith. And they're hostile about what you stand for and what you believe. Or you could even say they might consider and you might in your mind think this would be an enemy, at least in, in this particular situation. How do we respond with love that must be sincere? Here's what we remember. We learned last week, reminded. Jesus showed us how big love really is. Remember the commands that we looked at last week? Jesus said, love God, first and foremost. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, love one another. Got it. Fantastic. That's what we know. Love is the big part. And all of those are important. They all have kind of their unique sense of, of difficulty. There are problems with all of those. But then Jesus said one other thing that kind of turned everything upside down. I mean, he really had to get the, the attention, probably the ire of everyone he said this to, because in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this, love your enemies. Love those who mistreat you. Here's the part. It's, it can be very difficult to deal with the people who have been a source of evil in your life, who have been a source of pain in your life could be abuse, it could be uh, intimidation, it could be uh, betrayal in relationships, the things that have caused you pain. Then it becomes difficult then to love those or to get past that, that hurt, the evil that has been perpetuated and the wounds that come from that evil and the bitterness that wants to come along with that. How do we get, it seems almost impossible to get past that, which leads us to that verse we just read in Matthew, or Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And this is going to become our theme for today. We're going to talk about transformed love that overcomes evil. We're going to see how God has given us this opportunity, this ability to love sincerely, to make a difference even in these kind of situations. Let me read the verses we're going to kind of unpack as we go through. Romans starting in chapter 12. Of course, our main verse, verse number 9, uh, love must be sincere. 
As I said last week, this, the way it's written, it's kind of a title. It's kind of a subject heading, if you would, for all that's going to follow. So he's talking about love be sincere. Last week, we, we found out about here's some ways to do that. Here's some, some what sincere love looks like. Now we pick up in verse number 14, and here's what, here's what Paul writes. Verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. Or you may remember, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then our verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're going to see how this transform renewed love or, or thinking about love can truly overcome evil. And God's going to describe that. But let me take just a couple observations from these verses we read before we move on. The, the first one I think is quite obvious. Love must be sincere even when or especially when maybe it's difficult. We're, we're talking about love must be sincere, but what about when, it's, when that's hard to do? And be honest, it will be difficult. For you to genuinely love someone, here, here's what we know. This is where the temptation to love unsincerely really ramps up. Because here's somebody and they've treated you wrong and you, you want to, you know what you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to say. I love you and I'm glad that you're here, but that's not what you're thinking inside. Love that is sincere. Love without the mask. How do we do that when it's difficult? We, we, are to call, we are called to love authentically even though it's difficult. And now that difficult love also is to be sincere inside and outside of the family of faith. The reason I point that out is we read through these verses, it's as if Paul kind of moves from both of those circles. There are those that are followers, believers in Christ, brothers and sisters, and he talks to them. But then he also talks to those that would be outside of that, have not yet followers of Jesus Christ. And how, we're, how this love it mingles through both, uh, both camps, both categories of people. Let me give you an example. Verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Well, that obviously indicates those outside of the faith, those who are going to persecute you for what you believe because of your faith. And, and persecution was real then. Paul experienced it. It's real today. It could be physical persecution. It could be verbal, emotional persecution for, for what you believe. But even this word persecute means to pursue. It means to chase after. It means like someone coming, you know, hounding down your neck after you, right? But it also has, listen to some of these words at the definition. It means to harass or to trouble. It means to mistreat, to be mistreated in some fashion for your faith. So what does that indicate? It indicates those outside of the faith, those who would persecute. But then you go down a couple of verses, verse 16, and he says, live in harmony with and circle one another. One another becomes a New Testament phrase that is almost always used for brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We're to love one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to pray for one another. That's something he speaks within the church, within the body of Christ. The one another is often a term used for those followers of Christ who live in harmony. So he's talking now to those outside the faith and those inside the faith, inside the church. And then he just kind of wraps it all up in verse 18. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with who? Everyone. It doesn't matter who they are. That's our, that's our goal, renewed thinking to live at peace with everyone. Okay, it's obvious. It's obviously possible, according to Paul here, but how? And that's what we want to kind of run to today as we talk about uh, having a renewed mind when loving those who are difficult, when love itself is difficult. How do we renew our mind in this thinking about this difficult kind of of love. I, I'm not going to give you simple formulas. That, that's not going to happen. This is not going to become easier necessarily, but we can renew our thinking to understand this is how God wants us to react, and he will give us the power to do what we're called to do. So I'm going to give you three thoughts as we walk through these verses. Number one is this. Empathy is always appropriate. Empathy is always appropriate. You may know the word empathy. Make sure we, we get it, though, before we move on. By definition, it's the capacity to understand or to feel what another person is experiencing from within their frame of reference. You may have said you're walking in someone else's shoes. It's the idea of feeling how they feel in that particular situation. It's, it's, it's not just seeing what they do, but trying to find out why they're feeling it. It's imagining where, why they're at this place or when they're at this, this place in life. Look at verse 15 with me, Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Or be happy with those who are happy. Weep, cry with those who cry. Sometimes this is obvious. It's quite big, you know, that they're happy and, and you can tell it and it's real and it's, sometimes it's sad, but it can also be something hidden. It's time that you put on the brave face and that's not really where you are. It's a matter of, of with the people you're relating to that you're, you're literally trying to feel what they feel, empathy, rejoice, and mourn. Now, the question that, that I had as I was reading this, um, does this verse 15, the rejoice and mourn, does that have to do with the unbelievers, verse 14? You know, the persecutors? Or is he talking about those, the one another's, the ones in the church? And, and my answer is, yes. <laughs> I, I think he's talking to both. I think empathy is always appropriate in whatever relationship that you're going to, that you have this, this feeling, not just what they are doing, but you, t you take the time to try to understand and try to look at things from, from where they are in life. So let's say rejoicing, for instance. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy in their success. And, and for some people, that's easy at certain times, but let's be honest. When someone else is getting something good and you don't get it, is that a little difficult? to rejoice with them sometimes, especially if they've done something bad to you, and yet they're getting good. You know, if we're not careful as Christians, we can almost get envious of this. You know, God, you know what they did to me. Why would they get a blood? They won the lottery. Are you kidding me, right? They, how, why do they get this and I don't? Rejoice. Be happy just in the fact that they're their success is warranted. Or maybe on the other side, mourning with those who cry. I don't feel like mourning. I'm in a happy spot. Or, let's, let's be honest, someone has hurt you, and they're getting something for what they, something bad happens in their life. Is it, is it difficult sometimes not to just hold back the smile a little bit? Just be honest. Let's be real. 
that when someone else that hurts you is getting hurt, it's almost like, oh, yeah, I mean, right? Just beyond, the, the idea is we mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. In all relationships, if we can come at it from the idea of, of empathize, rather than just what we see them doing, we, we try to feel what they're, they're feeling. Do you understand, those within the body of Christ, church, how important this is, that we just are not doing church, we're not just coming together, but we're actually getting to know each other well enough that we can do that? That we can know and rejoice. In fact, here's what 1 Corinthians says. If one part, he's talking about the body, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's what the body is meant to be. That when you, when you have success, I'm happy for you. When you're crying, even if I'm having a great day, I will stop and I'll put my life down and I will put my arms around you and I'll weep with you. That's what the body is supposed to do. That's what we are to do. Empathy is always appropriate. And when it comes to this conflict, let's start there. But let's move on to the next thought, and that is that pride, arrogance, is never helpful. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Let's stop there at that verse. That's a great word. And we already said that one another seems to indicate talking to the church particularly and the idea that the church, this is a picture of how the church is to operate. We're to be operating in, in harmony. And, and I love the idea of harmony because harmony means lots of voices, even lots of places on the chord chart. If you know anything about music, harmony means that we're not singing the same note. We're singing in the same chord, but we're not singing the same note. And it makes this beautiful music. And that's what the church is supposed to be, live in harmony with one another. In fact, Jesus said it. He used the other word for harmony the New Testament used. That's the word unity. Just hours before he goes to the cross, he's praying to his father about his disciples then and now. And look what he says. I and them, Father, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, that's what the church is supposed to be, complete unity. And I'm praying for that. But did you notice why it's so important? So that the world will know. Christians, you understand how important that we learn to how to be in unity and harmony and that we, we make this happen? Because the world needs to see this. You're not going to see harmony just walking down the street. We need to be taking our harmony and making it real and taking it to the streets, letting them see that God can show us as Christians who are different and have different ideas and opinions. We can still be on the same chord. We can still be in the same sheet of music doing something for God together. And when they see that, God says, that will make a difference, Father. Help them to be in unity. Ephesians 4, make every effort, Paul says, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Christians, we have unity. We've been given this unity through the Spirit of Christ. Now keep it. Work at it. And it takes effort, but that's how important this unity and this harmony is. So with all that in mind, live in harmony, but notice what he says the problem will be. Do not be proud, back in Romans 12, 16, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Harmony is the goal. Pride is the enemy. Harmony is what we're going for. Unity is what God says we can and should have. Pride will destroy that every time. Pride is the, the enemy, the preventer, the blocker of this unity, this harmony that God wants us to have. Maybe it's a, a, a pride, as we've said, about the body. We, 
one thinks that he's better than the other piece and he's more important or she's more important. Or on the flip side, pride is just as real when they say I'm less important because you're still focused on, on me and comparing to others. So maybe it's that kind of pride. Maybe it's a pride that is just unwilling to say I'm sorry, even though you know there's at least a piece of that that might have been your fault. But I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. I mean, it, it, it's mostly them, and they deserve it. So I was just, I just, I was a percentage in there, but it's their major their problem, which also sometimes pride will say, and if that's going to happen, they got to go first. Not my responsibility. They did more worse than I did, right? So a pride will keep us from reconciling relationships. And sometimes in pride, we get even superior over those who are, you know, the troublemakers. And they're the ones causing all the trouble. And we're, we're much more better and holy, right? It's, it's this idea of pride keeps us from working the relationships. And God says, do not let pride, do not let conceit, do not think you're anything better than anyone else. We already saw this, chapter 12, verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And then verse 5, he says, because though we're many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Church, that's what harmony is. We belong to each other. We belong, and we've got to work this out to live in the harmony God has called us, because each of us, there's no one more important. There's no one less important. There's no ministry. There's no heart that, that means less. It's a matter of working together. One body belongs to all the other. We do life in this sense of harmony. Look at this translation of verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. That's, that's a pretty good phrase, isn't it? Maybe you could even say, or don't think you're always right. That's where we find ourselves, and pride will keep us there, and pride will keep us from living in that harmony as a church, as a body of Christ. And we've got to, church, we've got to identify that and, and kick that out as fast as we can. But it, understand, this pride can also hurt the other relationships. When you go to verse 18... And he says this powerful statement, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Seriously, Paul, that's a big ask. That, that live at peace with everyone. Seriously, I, that's going to take some humility on our part. Because some of these people that we're going to have to live at peace with are just scoundrels, right? We just, there's no way that we can, and that's going to take a humility. There's going to be a, a little giving on our part. Now, I'm not saying we compromise on truth at all. It's not saying that we don't speak truth, but it's the way that we do that. It's the way that we hold to our truth. God says we're to speak the truth, but we're to do it in love. It's the way we approach those who disagree with us. It's the way we come at our conflicts, even with those outside the faith. We can do this, but notice he says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. So, so here's, here's the thought. There, there are some of those relationships that you will do everything you can to restore it, and they, they don't have no part of it. What do you do as far as it depends on you? You see, at some point, you've got to ask yourself the question, have I done everything that depends on me? Have I done all I can? Have I asked for forgiveness? Have I tried to do what I can? And if the answer is yes, then at some point, you have to be at peace and say, and let God take care of the rest of this relationship we got to let it go and let God work in their life and in their situation. As far as it depends on you, but you can't make them change. You can't make them forgive or reciprocate, but you do all that depends on you. And then you let God, you trust him to take care of the rest. You understand what God's saying? This humility, pride will destroy. Arrogance is never the right answer. But let's look at one other that this passage points out, and that is that revenge is never an option. 
Revenge is never, is never a potential answer in God's book for us. You'll notice it's stated specifically twice in this passage and is referred to several times. But verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And verse 19, do not take revenge. Any questions? I mean, it's pretty clear, is it not? The command is obvious. But all of us find that sometimes it's harder to, to follow through on. Here's what I want to suggest to you. If we, if we follow these rules of, that God is showing out, these things will help us to be what he's called us to be, renewed thinking. That's going to be outside of our natural way of doing things. The, the thing that naturally wants to do when someone does wrong to us, our first just instinct reaction is to do something back to them. That's just the natural within us. I mean, and, and then in our culture, that, that kind of thing is actually celebrated, right? When someone gets hurt, we, we celebrate the one that gets even. They, they do it in mo- books and movies all the time. I mean, one of my favorite series is called The Avengers. What, tell me what that's supposed to mean, right? You're getting back. You're getting, you're getting even. Or the recent movie, Cruella, spoiler alert, it's about revenge. And it's about someone getting even. And when those happen and, and, the, and the bad guy gets his due and, everybody, and everybody's, yes, that's what we want. We're, we're fed that and we naturally go there because when someone hurts us, we, so what God is asking us to do is unnatural. And I want to suggest to you to do what God's going to call you to do is going to be a supernatural work that you as a believer can do. You renew your mind. You let God transform you. But this is the way God has called us to live. It, it may be unnatural, but it's the way God has, has, has called us. Let me, let me look through and, and share with you what I, what I mean by this. And we go through, there's several different, different passages. Let's start with verse 14. Because what we're going to see is he not only says, don't revenge, but he's actually going to flip the script on that and say, not only don't revenge, but actually do something good in reverse. Do something good backwards instead of, instead of revenge. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, let's be real. When someone hurts you, cursing just comes pretty natural. Right now, you're thinking of some words that you've probably used, correct? I mean, those words come, whether they're words that they can hear or it's just going through your mind. Cursing is just a natural. When they do something, we want, I mean, whatever the words are, it comes out of our, that's, that's the natural response. So what is God saying? Do not curse, but bless them. Very simply, it means pray for them. Pray for their best. Some of you say, oh, I'll pray for them, all right. Yeah. There's no country song talks about that. Some of you heard it, right? I pray that your brakes go out going 110 down a hill, or I pray that a pot falls on your head and hits you like I want to, that kind of thing. I'll pray for you, right? I, there, there, is a, there is that natural instinct. God says when, I, when you pray, you're saying, God, bestow your favor on this person. God, make this person's life different. Make it better. Bless their kids. Bless their, bless their family. And, and genuinely mean it. You're blessing them instead of cursing them. Jesus taught us about this. In fact, most people think Paul was probably quoting Jesus in some form when he said, Matthew 5, Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He expanded that a little bit in Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
instead of cursing, turn your head to God and say, God bless them. God help them. God be with their lives. That's God's response that he's called us in this renewed way of thinking. Look at verse 17. Do not repay anyone for evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Repaying evil. That's what we naturally are intended to do. And that comes in different shapes. It could be verbal repayment. It could be just the words coming out. It could be physical. And we're just going to, you know, uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth feel, tit for tat. It's just that we're going we're gonna to reciprocate in the best way we can just as you've done to me. It could be not verbal. It could be the complete opposite. It could be the silent treatment. I'm just not going to talk to you. The whole point is I'm, I want you to feel some pain like I felt the pain. I'm repaying evil for evil. The word repay, by definition, means what you think. It means to pay it back. And we all know the fact that paybacks are a, a bummer, right? We know that. We know that that's a feeling, but we know, and that's our natural response. We want them to get a piece of what we felt. We want them to get a taste of their own medicine. Sometimes it's not as ferocious as, as something physical, but it's a, it's a word. It's a, a, the spouse snaps and the other spouse, they, they won't talk for the next month. It's, it's a matter of whatever it is, I want you to feel some of this pain. When someone pushes our buttons, and you know what that is. And I, boy, I wish I could say I had all this down and that never happened to me. But man, there are times when they push that button and the button just explodes, right? But here's what I've learned. When that button goes off, it's really hard to reset it sometimes. And those words that come out of my mouth can never be truly taken back. You see, it's repay for evil for evil. I'm going to, you, you give something to me verbally, I'm going to come back as best I can. And some of you are masters at that. You have a gift in that, that comeback. And you say, I'm just, I'm just joking. I didn't really mean that. But deep down, the point is you want them to feel just a tinge of that pain that you felt. Repaying evil for evil. So what does he say to do instead? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Instead of repaying evil... And, and that's not talking about do the eyes of everyone as, as if we're just going to, whatever the opinion is, that's not, the, that's not what that phrase means. It means do what's right regardless of what, in the sight of everyone. In other words, you're, as a follower of Christ, a renewed mind, your life has a testimony, and it's being sure that whatever you say, however you respond, is always in a godly. This is what Jesus would say in this situation, right? In fact, the ESV says it this way, do what is honorable in the sight of all. So bless, don't curse, and instead of repaying evil for evil, do, a t- do the honorable thing to them and for them and in that situation at all times. And then verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Take revenge, injury for injury. Take justice into your, into your own hands which is exactly what we're told not to do with this renewed mind. Natural would somehow, I've got to get justice, and if justice isn't served, I'll make sure it's served, and that's not our place. Chapter 13, we'll look at soon, and that is that part of that, God has given into the government, into the authorities to take care of those things. That's part of how God has set it up. But you say, but they get it wrong sometimes. Absolutely, they're human. But here's what you can count on. God says he will never get it wrong. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will always get it right. He will always balance the books. God will take care of it. Do we trust him to do that? Because it's not our place to see that, just, that judgment, that, that the revenge is meted out. 
But here's what he said to do in the contrary. This is crazy. Look at verse 20. On the contrary, instead of taking revenge, if our renewed thinking, if your enemy's hungry, laugh at him, right? If the enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In doing this, you will heap coals, burning coals on his head. Instead of revenge, intentionally find a way to show kindness to a person who's hurt you. Instead of revenge, turn that around and help them in some way. You're feeling, you're, you're feeling the, the emotion, you know, you got that empathy. Now do something to actually help them. And he says, if you do, you'll heap burning coals, coals of fire on their head. You say, well, finally, they're going to get something painful, right? Coals of fire. What he's talking about here, some would say that's shame. They're going to feel the regret and the shame of that if you, if you act in, in a positive manner, perhaps. But I think we'll probably get a better picture. You look back in the Old Testament, that idea of burning coals, there was, there was a judgment attached to that, God's judgment. But it was a judgment that would lead to repentance. It was something that was meant to get their attention so that they would turn from their ways. So God's saying, you do what's right. You do good in the spite of when they've done bad to you, and you actually allow him to point them to repentance. You actually want their very best, and that is the best thing for them is that they turn to God. Not that they get their justice, but that ultimately they turn and they come to the God who loves them, who gave his life for them, and will ultimately save them. You want the best for them, and that would be for them to actually, that coals of fire would lead them back to God. It's a new way of thinking. It's renewed. It's, it's judgment that leads back to God. Let me give you an example I read this week, so powerful, I thought, about this idea of, of not revenge, not repaying, but doing what God has called you actually may remember the story back in 1999. Um, it was a missionary couple, and uh, the man's name was Graham Stainer and his wife and their, their three kids. They, he had been missionary in India for over 34 years. And as missions, they had started a clinic. They were working with the lepers. They were doing great work in that country. But as he was out on a road one night, there was a... Uh, a group, a gang, if you would, of radical Hindus that surrounded their vehicle, made it so they couldn't open the doors, and then set the car on fire. And he and his two sons, 10 and 6 years old, were found huddled and died inside that fire. Tragedy for doing nothing but helping people. But don't forget, he leaves behind a wife and a daughter. How are they going to respond? I want you to listen to the response that came out just days after all these events by the wife herself. She says, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter. Neither am I angry. But I have one great desire. Listen to this. That each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn the hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Teenage daughter, 13 years old after this tragedy, said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. That, that's not natural, nor is that easy. But that's the spirit of God with a renewed mind helping them rather than revenge, 
to do good for those who have hurt them. I read an article just in May of this year. The, the village of that, uh, that, that that all occurred in still remembers and grieves for the loss of their missionary friend. You see, God took what they did and he, he, he changed it. He poured some burning coals and he made a difference in lives because of the way that they respond. Let's go back and recap what we've talked about. I want you to summarize this, but I also would encourage you to evaluate. Are we finding ourselves as believers needing renewal in any of these areas? Do we need a renewed response from loving those who are difficult? Here are some ways that we've learned about today. I'll remind you, do not curse, but bless those who mistreat you. Instead of cursing, we pray for them. We pray for their best interest. Do not be arrogant, but live in harmony with one another. Put your pride aside and do whatever you can to live in harmony with your brothers and sisters in Christ and do the work in unity we've been called to do. Do not repay evil for evil, he said, but always do the honorable thing. Rather than evil, it's honor. Rather than evil, you do it what Christ would do in response. He said also, do not take revenge, but show kindness to your enemies. Intentionally find a way to do good for those who hurt us. And finally, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Transformed love that overcomes evil. I love that word. Overcome means just what you think. It means victory or vanquished. Or, you know, it's that idea of, of being the one that comes out on top, right? And he says, evil, you'll either be overcome, you'll be, you'll be brought by, to your knees by evil, or you can, as a Christian with renewed mind, have the ability to overcome evil in this way of thinking. And here's what he's saying. If you repay evil for evil, evil wins. You revenge, evil wins. Even if you say, well, I'm not going to say anything, but you do nothing on the opposite, evil still wins. Neutral is not the option here. He says you take what God has showed you. Not only do you not revenge, but you do good. You turn it around for good, and, and then evil doesn't win. Good wins. And since God is good, God wins. We have the ability, Christians, to renew our minds and make that kind of difference in our church, in our world, in our community. Think about the world needs people like, like us with renewed minds to make that kind of an impact, to react to people in that way. When the conflict comes and the violence is starting to erupt, we have a biblical answer and we can make a difference. Think what Calvary Baptist could do if we as God's people in harmony begin to show the world what it means to live with this kind of renewed mind, what that could do for our world, for our community, for our, just even where we live. You know, I said Jesus taught us this, and we read some of his verses. But more importantly, Jesus gave us an example of this. He modeled this for us. First Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, when they hurled insults at him, that's Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus was going to the cross, dying on the cross, being ridiculed, being hurt, being just, just mercilessly put on a cross, 
rather than retaliate, and he had every opportunity. He could have, and he would have had every right to respond back to those people. In fact, at one point he said, if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels, and you guys would be in toast, right? He had all that ability, but he gave us the example that in the face of that, he, he trusted himself to the Father. Rather than revenge, we trust it to the God who is the God who will take care of things. But I want you to notice the next verse, what his doing good actually accomplished. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The ultimate good that Jesus accomplished by not retaliating was he provided salvation for all of us. What he did in his sacrifice is he gave so that we could be forgiven, so that he refused to come down on that cross, refused to sin with his, his mouth so that you and I could have salvation and ultimately so that we could live righteously, so that we could live the way he's called us to live. That all came through Jesus and what he did when he did the honorable thing and did what his father had called him to do. Now, my question is, and I think it's a great one for all of us to answer each week. Have you received that gift that Jesus provided on the cross? Has there been a point when you realized that I'm a sinner? I, I may have been religious. I've gone to church. But I, I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I turn to him and I come to the one who died on that cross for me and let him save me. Have you received that gift? The gift that he purchased with his own blood on the cross. If not, w- would you receive that this morning? Would you accept that gift and and understand your need and receive what Jesus is offering? Because what Jesus gave was an example. And so if you're a follower of Christ, let's go back to that example. Those of you who know Christ, there's some questions we need to ask. Are we thinking differently about our response to conflict and to other people? Do we find ourselves repaying evil for evil? Is that a habit that we find ourselves in? Maybe with certain people. It could be in our family. It could be in our neighbor. Maybe it's that guy at work or those people that, that we show up and it's just they, they push our buttons and we're not responding well. Is, do we find ourselves in any of those, those positions? People that are just difficult to love sincerely, are we trying to love them sincerely? Maybe we start by asking forgiveness from God. God, please help me, forgive me. And then we go to them and seek forgiveness and then we, we follow his, his line. And we, even if they do not reciprocate, even if they don't care, we do good for them. We, we rather than curse, we bless them and we see what God will do. Are, are we willing to do? Are, we, are our minds renewed to understand what God has in mind for us? Because here's the, the possibility, the potential is that we will not be overcome with evil, but that we overcome evil with good. Can we make a difference in our society and culture? One by one, we can overcome evil with good. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and we just let these thoughts mull around in our minds. And then begin by asking, have you received that gift of salvation through Jesus? If not, would you? At this very moment, you recognize that Jesus gave his life for you. When he could have come off the cross, he loved you. He stayed there so you could be forgiven. Would you call out to him and say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I know you died to be my savior. Please come into my life. I want to follow you. Would you do that right now? 
If you are a follower of Christ already, then let's evaluate how we're doing. Does our mind need to be renewed in some of these areas? In loving others, empathetic for others, our response to others, our, our repayment of evil for evil. God, help me to let you overcome evil in my life so that we can overcome that evil with good. Father, help us. This is not natural, but the Spirit of God in us, this is possible. With the Spirit of God in us, we can have our minds renewed and think in these terms. So God, help us. As your people, as a church, as we leave these walls today, as we go out into our jobs this week, or we go out into the community, help us to go with this renewed thinking of how we'll respond and let you shine your light through us to a world who needs to know Jesus. And Father, if there's one under the sound of my voice who has not yet received that gift of eternal salvation, please draw them today to come to you and to accept your gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a time just to think through that, pray those words back to God. If you have questions, I'd love to, to meet with you. You can write down on the card, Pastor, I'd love to talk with you, or you can see me afterwards, or you can, you can uh, message me if you're watching online. Just, we'd love to help you understand, but let's just take some time and let God's truth word speak to us, and we can respond back to him as we do.